Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric Bilstead, if you live long enough, you, you see everything. It used to be... <laughs> okay, so you've seen everything? It used to be when... Well, if you wait long enough, you, you do, yes. It, it used to be that when politicians were seeking payoffs, you know, that what they do is they, they'd meet people like in the alley and they'd get the money in a paper bag, you know, and, they, and they'd hope that the other person wasn't an informant for the FBI. Mm-hmm. That's how it used to be when you're taking payoffs. In Milwaukee nowadays, that's not how it does. You you just go on social media. Did you see this story involving this Milwaukee older yes. woman, Shantia mm-hmm. Lewis? I, I, I sent out. I, actually, I went on a Twitter storm today. I sent a bunch of stuff out. But I mean, this this story it's just mind boggling. And, and it might not technically be illegal. And I say might not. Might not technically be illegal. But if it's not, it it should be. So here here is the story. All right, so she's she's got her 40th birthday coming up. She's an alderman, older woman from Milwaukee. So what she does is she ends up um, on on she goes on Facebook and she she does this this posting. She says, "I'm accepting gift cards and cash apps." And then it's like dollar sign D ninth D ninth. She represents the ninth district. Right. So okay, this is an alder woman who goes on Facebook and says, I'm accepting cash cards and gift apps. And and, and cash apps is like one of these, these services where you can send money. It's like Venmo like or something like that. Right, right. Cash app, mobile payment service like Venmo. It lets customers transfer to somebody from one place to the other. And uh, dollar sign D ninth is her account moniker. She represents the city's ninth district. So she's not being subtle. Give me money. Then, then she goes on another post. As I enter chapter number 40, she's turning 40, I'm excited to see what this new decade brings. And yes, that means gifts as well. Feel free to show some love and bless a sista, S-I-S-T-A-H, and then (laughs) cash app money D ninth. You almost don't know what to say about this kind of stuff because, I mean, typically, like I say, if, if you're asking people, first of all, first of all, I mean, I... I don't know. Sometimes when my birthday comes up and people say, "Do you want to get you something you want?" I say, "I've got everything right, I need." Right, it's a little you know? awkward asking right, for something. It, right, yeah, but yeah. much less, much less going on social media and saying, "Give me money." You know, I I want money. But then you you add into the fact that she's an elected official and she's putting this out on on Facebook. I mean, give me money now. Like I say, it technically might not be illegal. But I, it should be. I mean, how, you know, if you're an elected official, by the way, she makes 73 grand a year as an older woman. She gets an extra travel allowance of like 4,200 bucks a year. You get benefits. Okay. So she's pulling in $77,000 a year and she's begging money for her birthday on Facebook and using a reference to her elected position to do this. 
What's wrong here? I'm curious if this goes anywhere. I know that uh, they are aware of it. Those with the uh, the ethics commission, right? That's uh, according to Bice's column right, today. Right. Right. Well, according to Bice's column, and, and this, I I'm sympathetic. Patricia Heinz, or hence is the chairwoman of the city's ethic board, says she doesn't believe her agency has dealt with a situation like this before. No kidding. No kidding, because there's nobody in the history of politics that would have ever thought, gee, I'm an elected official, I'm going to use a reference to my title, and I'm going to go on social media and ask people to give me money. Now, I'm, I'm sure they've never donated it, done it before, because... Boy, I tell you, you know, over the years, you know, you prosecuted all these aldermen for corruption and yeah, stuff. Biskupic has done that before. Well, right. right. Well, but, you know, but back in the day, I mean, yeah. I, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I was involved in the cases. But sure. we prosecuted okay. these people for, and, and again, you get into the whole quid pro quo, and that's why I, I, I say I'm, I, this might not be illegal, but it's certainly unseemly. And again, I sympathize with the ethics person because she's like, well, we've never really dealt with this before because... No alderman has ever gone on social media and begged for money before like this. Like I say, you live long enough and you see it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's all these other aldermen in the city hall going, damn, why didn't we think of that? You know, <laughs> Let's see how much she raises in gifts and stuff for her birthday. Maybe this is like this new way that politicians can supplement their income. And, of course, you know, we, we don't know how much she got. And... Yeah, and it, look, and I, I understand it, it's kind of a fine line because just because you're an elected official doesn't mean if you're having, for example, a birthday party, you can't say, you know, I you can't say no gifts wanted or something like this. But are you with me? I, th- th- does it seem unseemly well, to you? Uh, well, especially, yes, normally it would be, but especially when you have the, the District 9 post right, in there right. as well. But oh, yeah, well, even, even if it was just my birthday, that's a little odd. Well, well right, it, it's odd to begin with. And, and yes, it, it's not like she's not on her, it's not like she's on her government account, but right. she's clearly making reference to her, her job. You know, and her title and her elected position when she includes that in the solicitation to beg money. Again, I, I it, it, my, the note when I sent this out on Twitter, and you can follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. It, it might not be illegal, but there's something about this that tells me it should be illegal. And like I say, I suspect there's all sorts of Milwaukee aldermen who got convicted over the years are going, God, why, why did I, why did I meet people at like, at, why did I meet people and take money and pay, paper bags over the table? I should have just gone on that internet and asked for dough. <sighs> Only in Milwaukee. All right. We have a lot of stuff to get through today and we're going to move quickly through various, t- lots of topics. Matter of fact, I was putting the show together today. There was just, so much interesting stuff that was out there. I highlighted some of it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Matter of fact, we're getting close to one of those zero numbers as far as followers. So I'm, I'm trying to, trying to tweet more. All right. Let us get started. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I was at, Lam- I was at the game at Lambeau Field Sunday. So I did not see the game on television. I have been listening and I've gotten a number of a lot of feedback from a number of you over the last day or two about who watched the broadcast on Fox. And this isn't about Troy Aikman or Joe Buck. This is about 
what they're describing as the woo guy. Now, again, since I wasn't watching this on television, I, I didn't I didn't hear it. The area where I was in the stands, people stood for most of the game and cheered. It got a little bit quiet as things got tense in the fourth quarter, but I think it was a good crowd experience. We had lots of people around us that were cheering loudly. My best friend was uh, you know, with us, and he was hoarse by the end of the game. But we didn't have anybody around us that was just screaming annoyingly. The woo guy, and you obviously heard this when, if you were watching on TV, because I went back and I listened to some of the clips last night. They, you know, the, the TV people, they put, they put microphones to capture crowd noise at various spots around the stands. And apparently there was some leather lunged Packers fan who, at least for a good portion of the first half, was screaming at the top of his lungs, woo. Well, woo, woo, you know, kind of like the old Ric Flair thing over and over and over again. And you could hear this incessantly in the background. Now, I have been to sporting events. The story I tell goes back a number of years. I was at a Bucks game, and the Bucks were playing, uh, at the time, it was New Jersey. And Jason Kidd, who went on to be the Bucks coach for a number of years, he was there, and he had just gotten charged with, like, domestic abuse. The guy behind me for, I swear, the entire game, every time Jason Kidd handled the ball, would scream at the top of his lungs, wife beater. And if it was clever the first or second time, after after the fourth or fifth, it, it had gotten old. And he did it for the better part of the entire game. All right, so here you have this fan. He's into it. He's screaming, woo, woo, woo. Did that go overboard? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am all in favor of fans making noise. I, you know, if you, if you go to a game, it's not like that you're, you know, you're not going to church, you're cheering, you're supporting the team. There is to me a fine line, though, between cheering and supporting the team and just being an annoying jerk. And I have to tell you, if I had been sitting in front of or next to the woo-woo guy, well, after about two minutes, I would have come to the conclusion that this guy is just an annoying jerk. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Screaming the same thing over and over again at a sporting event. All right, is this just showing support for the team or is this just making you an annoying clown? Did the woo guy go too far? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I have nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with people cheering and yelling and high-fiving and go, pack, go, and all that. I'm just saying that there's nothing that can take the fun out of a sporting event more than having some leather lung who is just screaming the same thing over and over and over again. To me, that's not supporting the team. It's just trying to call attention to yourself. And that's where I would lump the woo guy in from last weekend. Let's start with Peter. Peter on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Real well, thank you. Yeah, um, my wife and I were were watching the uh, the television broadcast, and we heard this guy from the get-go, and it was so annoying. Um, my wife and I kind of both looked at each other and said, who is this guy? And 
Uh, we both agreed that he probably wouldn't last too long yelling at the top of his lungs like that. And he did fade out, but uh, uh, according to your screener, he, he popped up again in the third quarter, but I didn't hear him because I was probably way too in, into the game by that time. But the first quarter, yeah, what an annoyance. Well, and I, again, and again, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to picture, again, I was at the game, and if, if the guy behind me, and clearly the guy, he, I bet you he knew he was on a microphone and he's, and he's trying to get on TV. If the guy behind me was just screaming the same thing over and over and over again, it's kind of like, hey, buddy, you know, at least come up with some different cheer if you want to yell. Right, yeah, and I was at home. I can imagine being at the stadium. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, absolutely. No, th- thanks for the call. No, I mean, it, it's just. It's just one of those things um, that, that, to me, again, if you want to be clever, I it's fine to do it. Okay, here's a couple of texts. Jeff, I didn't notice the woo-woo on TV. I'm glad I didn't, as it would have driven me crazy. P.S., um, for people who didn't hear it, my uh, the texter says, it made the Tonight Show last night. Uh, yes, another text. Jeff, the woo-woo guy was really annoying. It added nothing to the broadcast. You know, shut him up. And I'm I'm sure ultimately that's what happened is the Fox people, I don't know, deactivated the, um, turned off the microphone or whatever, because, it, again, it, it, it gets on you. Jeff, stop complaining. Packers fans are notorious for telling people to sit down and be quiet. We finally had people getting loud. We cannot complain about the woo guy. Also, I didn't hear it once. Well, no, we can complain about the woo guy. I have no issue with people getting loud and cheering. But it's one thing to get loud and cheering and cheer. It's another thing. And let us be honest. If you are screaming woo at the top of your lungs over and over again, you're not doing it to support the team. You're doing it to call attention to yourself and to be a jerk about it. And yeah, that's the phrase that I would use. I'm all in favor of standing up and cheering. Now, here is the seminal text. Jeff, yet another reason why we turn down the TV volume and listen to Wayne and Larry. You know, go, uh, you know, go pack. Um, Jeff, I went to the Lions game in Detroit and there was a lady behind us that was letting out a long wail continuously. And there were a lot of Packers fans that stood up and literally told her to shut up. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Yeah, you go and you cheer. But so many, or at least occasionally, you'll have that one person that decides they're going to make this about themselves, and they don't care if they annoy anybody else. And I understand the attitude is, well, I paid money for my ticket, so if I want to scream and be a jerk and try to you know, annoy everybody else, I have the right to do it because I shelled out my hundred and whatever dollars to sit there. Well, okay, you know, maybe you do. But at the same time, just because, as we often say, you have a right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Enough of the woo guy. And as a matter of fact, I'm glad they haven't identified him because I'd hate to see this character get his 15 seconds of fame by being named. Oh, you're the woo guy. Now, maybe next time, maybe next time the people that were with him, they won't end up giving him a ticket. Just saying. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We are back. Interesting political story. Um, there's a state senator. His name is Dave Hansen. He's a Democrat out of Green Bay, and, and he's been there for a long time. He's announced that he's 72 years old. He's announced that he, he's retiring. He's not running for re-election, which... 
puts this seat very much in play. It, it's a it's a seat that probably is a Republican leaning seat, I would say. But Dave Hansen is he's been there for a long time, and he's getting a, and he's you know he's been reelected. He's a known commodity. Now that it is an open seat, I think it's it's probably a toss up, or maybe it's a likely leans Republican seat in this district. So interestingly enough, Democrats scrambling to see who they're going to come up with, and so apparently one of the guys that's moving forward is Jonathan Hansen who, as it turns out, is the nephew of David Hansen. So, you know, you have one of these legacy things that, that's going on. The guy's an alderman from uh, alderman from De Pere, and he's defi- decided that he wants to follow in his uncle's footsteps, which is all well and good. But I, I do always think back to some of the issues. Remember when we had these concerns when there was a, a discussion about whether or not Scott Walker's children, one of his kids, Matt, was going to run for for Congress, and there was all this hand-wringing and there was all this concern about, oh, my gosh, is this going to be, is this this legacy? You know, we, we have multiple generations of, of politicians, you know, trying to run. And then the same argument was out there when um, uh, Mark Newman's son, I believe that was Matt as well, he was thinking about running for Congress and ultimately decided not to. And you heard all this stuff, oh, we think this is bad for, you know, the the kids of the existing politicians to run. Well, okay, if that's the case, is there going to be outrage when Dave Hansen's nephew decides to run or has decided to run? We'll see. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Thirty six degrees outside. Last night Oh, about, you know, 7, 8 o'clock at night, people started gathering outside the Milwaukee Arena, or technically the UW Panther Arena, in advance of the president arriving tonight. We've been talking about this repeatedly. It is going to be an absolute circus downtown because you've got the Bucks game at 7 o'clock sold out. They play the New York Knicks. And then four blocks to the north, you've got the president staging a rally. It is supposed to start at 7, doors open at 3. But as always happens when the president comes to town, massive road closures. And you can, you can find them elsewhere. But if you're going down into that area, you, you want to check to find out because there's going to be all sorts of roads that are going to be closed. Parking is going to be a nightmare. Access is going to be difficult. And I'm not trying to discourage anybody from going, but I am saying plan ahead because if you just think it's a typical night, you know, I'm going down to the Bucks game or whatever, okay, this is going to be completely and totally different. It's different because in addition to the Bucks, when President Trump comes to town and does these rallies, it is a big deal. They are anticipating inside the arena, well, probably somewhere between eight to 10,000 people deciding on how, depending on how they, they have it set out. And what they do at Trump rallies is it's general admission, and they typically, they, the tickets are free, so they typically distribute more tickets than the venue can hold. That's why if you go down there, there's a giant TV screen that's out there, and the idea is that people who can't get in, the overflow crowd, you know, they can end up watching the rally from outside. So you've got that going on. Undoubtedly, there'll be protesters, although I think they're supposed they're trying to hem them into the Red Arrow Park area. But the bottom line is you've you got a lot of stuff going on in the space of four blocks, and because it's the President of the United States and the Vice President, there's all sorts of road closures. But what, what's intrigued me about this is people started lining up last late yesterday afternoon, early yesterday evening, because it is first come, first serve. And there's people that, that 
you know, want to get in and they, they want to get a, a good space. And so they're willing to wait in essentially close to freezing temperatures and stand in line overnight, kind of like, I don't know, tickets are going on sale for the reunion of the Beatles. And I understand the Beatles aren't going to be reuniting, but, you know, it's that it's that type of thing. And if you were listening to or watching the coverage, you know, they're, they're interviewing people, and you have people that are coming from all over. It's not just people from Wisconsin, not just people from the Milwaukee area. You have people that are coming from Ohio, and Michigan, and Iowa, and Illinois, all coming to just to see the president. It's going to be enormous. And I bring this up because, you know, I understand there's people who can't stand the president. I get that. But still, the president has a very, very large following. People that are willing to stand on the sidewalk 24 hours before a facility opens for the opportunity to get in and see one of these rallies. Now, this is kind of a long lead up to the point I want to make. Nancy Pelosi announces today that she's going to be sending over the articles of impeachment sometime this week. That means presumably the impeachment trial in the Senate will happen sometime next week. It'll start. Don't know how long it's going to last. They haven't announced what the rules are going to be. Could be a day or two. Could be a week. Don't don't know. Maybe they're going to allow witnesses to be called. I don't think so. But, but who knows? It, we, we don't know. I do know this. The result of this is predetermined. Just like the impeachment of the president was on a party line vote, you know, with what only two Democrats, no Republicans voting for it and all but two Democrats voting against it in the Senate. You're not going to get two-thirds of the senators to vote to remove the president. That, that's just the reality. So where, wherever it comes down, whether it's a party-line vote and it's 53 to 47, or whether or not you know some Republican decides to vote yes that I don't think is going to happen, it, it doesn't matter. He's not going to be removed. So this entire process is, is really it's an exercise in some respects of futility if the object is to remove the president, because that's not going to happen. And I know there's some of you who are angry and just can't believe that but that's just the reality i live in the real world here is the question that i want to talk to you about though given that the result of the impeachment here trial in the senate is going to be that it's business as usual right there's a lot of people that are talking about legacy and the argument is being only the third president actually impeached is going to impact the trump legacy our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I completely disagree with this. I don't think as far as the way President Trump is remembered, the impeachment is going to make any difference at all. The people who love President Trump, the ones who are standing outside the arena 24 hours um, ahead of an event in the middle of January in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, they, they're going to view this impeachment process as the culmination of a witch hunt. The people that believe President Trump is a, is a crook and is just this evil, venal person, well, their opinion isn't going to change. And most people, I just don't think the impeachment is going to register one way or the other as evidence. All right, does the fact that Bill Clinton was impeached by the House of Representatives in the 90s and then acquitted a trial, does that has that influenced Clinton's legacy at all? And my answer would be no. People really in the real world don't care about that. That's not how Clinton's term is going to be viewed, and I don't think it's how Trump's term is going to be viewed. Do you care 
Will you care about this impeachment process? And is it going to affect the way Donald Trump is viewed in history? My answer is is no. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, hold on. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text, Jeff. The people who are waiting to see the president are sheep, waiting to hear more exaggerations, lies, and false promises. He is a bad, immoral, language limited, uneducated embarrassment to our country. This is scary because these folks all believe him. So many dumb people who may vote. Ugh. Okay, so if you are a Trump supporter, you got to understand, that's the way a lot of people on the left look at you. If you are waiting outside in line to get in at the arena and you happen to be listening to us, all right, there, this is the way some people view you. You are sheep waiting to hear a bad, immoral, language-limited, uneducated embarrassment to our country, and you are sheep because you believe him. All right. Now, now the... I, you know, okay, that, that's that's all well and good, and that's how you are viewed. Again, you're the deplorables that are out there. That's the phrase. But th- this idea that we're spending all this time and effort with an impeachment process. My point is the people who view President Trump and the supporters, those of you who would vote for him like this, they're not going to change their mind. And the people that believe that, okay, President Trump has been the victim of a witch hunt, they're not going to change their mind. I don't believe there is one person who is either going to vote for or against President Trump next November because we have gone through this impeachment process. And I don't think it's going to affect his legacy one way or the other, just like I don't think the impeachment process itself affected Bill Clinton's legacy. Now, the underlying conduct that Clinton engaged in, yes, that affected his legacy. You talk about Bill Clinton and people remember him. Oh, he's the guy that, you know, had the thing with the intern. But the impeachment process, non-factor. Let's talk to Todd. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff, for taking my call. Hi, Todd. Hi. The the basic fact that you've got the president being impeached, that rhetoric with the word impeachment will follow him. But I I believe that the fact that when you have a serious enough offense to impeach a president, you'll have bipartisan support. And the fact that you had partisan on voting for for the impeachment and you had two Democrats come over also, shows that it's not an impeachable offense and how much they're pushing this and how much it became a witch hunt. Well, you know, that is clearly what's going on now is the distinction between what happened now and in 1974 with Richard Nixon. I understand they, they didn't go through the full impeachment process, but it was very, very apparent that Nixon had lost the support of the country and Nixon had lost the support of the Republicans. And so he, you know, he resigned seeing the inevitable. But there you had a true bipartisan agreement where I think Republicans, Democrats in the country recognized, OK, it's time for the president, in this case, President Nixon, to go. We're certainly not at that point now. And we weren't at that point in the 90s right. with Bill Clinton. It, right. That's where the dist- distinction is. Yep. No question. One more thing I can add is when the president was being accused of doing something so serious to be impeached, he immediately released himself the recording of the phone call to show that it was not an impeachable offense. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. And for that, call. No, I, you know, so, I, right. And I appreciate it. I mean, look, I, I again, I, I don't 
I, I've already made my position clear repeatedly on this program. I do. I do. I think the call was inappropriate. Yes. Do I think it rises to the level of an impeachable offense? A- absolutely not. And, and I, I see a big distinction there. But I mean, regardless of whether you agree with me or you agree with one of our first texters that you know anybody that supports President Trump is nothing but you're you're, you're just sheep waiting to be lied to. And how dare I can't believe that you're so dumb that you don't realize that you're having the wool pulled over your eyes to keep the sheep reference going. I, I guess my point is. Nobody's going to change their position one way or the other on the whole impeachment process. And that's why we've been spending all this time on this. That's why I I, I said months ago, you know, a censure or something like that would have been, I think, a much more appropriate way to go. But is this going to affect the Trump legacy? Let's talk to Mark. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. You know, I think that it's absolutely disgraceful that we can talk about the impeachment process like it's already been determined and like it won't influence the opinions of voters out there. How sad is the state of our country and the state of our presidency when we can claim that nothing is going to change after this process uh, before we even have seen other witnesses? And I'm talking about direct fact witnesses. Uh, but you're probably not going to. You're, they're, they're probably not going to call any more witnesses. That's just the reality. I, I, how, how, then how can you even remotely claim to have a fair trial or a fair process? And, and what does it say about our country when you can claim to know the result of a, of a process like this? Uh, well, do you disagree? With, wait, let me ask you this. Do you disagree doing, with me, Mark? It? Do you think that two-thirds of the Senate is going to vote to remove President Trump? I don't know, but I don't think that's the question we need to be asking ourselves. We need to be asking ourselves, do we have a Senate that is capable of analyzing the situation and doing what they were put in those positions to do? Could you you ask the same question about the House of Representatives who, along a party line vote, returned the articles of impeachment? Can you argue that, hey, did they do their job because they pretty much decided that they were going to impeach? The, ho- the House has had their hands tied in this matter because McConnell has claimed to not be an impartial juror, as has Lindsey Graham. Uh, when you have unprecedented actions set by the Senate, then, of course, the House is going to be limited in the recourse. Okay, well, more, but, play with I, me on this. What I really want to talk about sure. is, all right, let us assume that my premise is correct, that two weeks from now... You have on essentially a a partisan vote, just like you had in the House, you have a verdict of acquittal or the charges dismissed or whatever. Is that going to influence the legacy of the president? Do you think that one person in November is going to vote either for him or against him because of the impeachment process? Oh, definitely. And to say anything otherwise would be a, a disgrace to the process. Of course, people are going to be influenced by it. But I'm less concerned about the legacy of Donald Trump because I think that's already pretty pretty well set in stone. His actions, his admissions of guilt of those actions on the White House lawn even. I mean, Clinton, Reagan, what none of them th- ever said, you know what, I did it. No, Get Clinton over didn't it, say I did it. No, no, Clinton didn't say <laughs> I did it. That's the problem. You know, Clinton, Clinton said, I uh-huh. never had sexual relations with that woman. Now, Clinton lied about exactly. it. That's the problem. Okay, let and, me, let me, but let me ask you this. So, if President mm-hmm. Trump is reelected next November, and maybe he's not going to be, but I, I, stranger things will will have happened. 
how are you going to react to that? Are are the all the voters who voted for him? Are you just are they just dumb sheep who've been hoodwinked? They are worse than that because if they are still voting for Donald Trump after what well, he's crossed ten thousand lies or falsehoods. Nothing comes out of this man's mouth but lies. And you knew that long before he became president, if you even remotely paid attention to his business dealings, to okay. his oh, stock okay. market dealings. Okay, good enough. Thanks for calling. I wanted to let you make your point. Okay, so so Mark just can't absolutely conceive of the fact that Donald Trump could, in fact, be reelected. And I'm sure is stunned at the fact that you're going to have, I don't know, eight, nine, ten thousand people or more down at the Milwaukee Arena, people who in some cases have now been standing in line for, you know, they will be by the time the doors open, they will have been standing in line in the cold for 20 plus hours to see the president. Here, here, here's here's my note to the people that can't stand President Trump. There's lots of people that just absolutely flat out disagree with you. And they not only intend to vote again for the president. I've taken no position as to whether or not the president's going to be reelected. I, I don't know. And maybe I'm not the best guy to listen to because I didn't think he was going to beat Hillary Clinton. I was one of those pundits and most of us were in that category. I was wrong. But I will tell you this. If everybody thinks that whoever the Democrats nominate is going to just walk in to the election, if you think people aren't going to vote for Donald Trump again, you are you're mistaken. Um, this is, in all likelihood, going to be a close election. I don't know whether he's going to win or not. I think a lot of it depends on who the Democrats choose to nominate. If you nominate a center-left candidate, I think that person ultimately has more chance of winning than if the Democrats choose an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders or someone like that. But but time will tell. But as far as the impeachment process, there's really a disconnect in this part, in this country. There's the people, again, who just can't stand President Trump, can't believe that he could stay in office. And there's people who just don't understand that thinking at all. And you're going to see thousands and thousands of them standing outside and then later on today inside the Milwaukee Arena waiting 24 hours to get a chance to see the president. Interesting times that we live in. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, group, producing the show today and always, let's poke the bear. I, I, um, I, I, this is not directed at, at the TMJ4 meteorologists. Um, I, I get on my Twitter account, I get all these feeds from like all the different TV stations. And I will tell you, there's at least two who really, I can tell, you look at what they're putting out there, they want to predict a big snowstorm for Friday and Saturday. They, they, they just, there's like, if you read some of the stuff, they, they want to say we're going to get a lot of snow. But they are very, very gun-shy about doing that, given the fact that for several days leading up to last weekend, we were told it was going to be an apocalypse, and we people were making a run on the stores for milk and bread, and it turned out to be largely a bust. Now, I'm a little bit sensitive to this because... I have been eating a big can of I told you so over the course of the last several days because last Saturday, my wife, it, today is my, my granddaughter's birthday. Happy birthday, Gracie. She turned 16. So my wife, her daughter, granddaughter, and um, Gracie's other grandma, who lives in Green Bay, or my friend Nancy, they had all made arrangements to go to Chicago. They were going to take the train down to Chicago and go shopping in downtown Chicago and then come back. 
I was the you-know-what in the punch bowl. I was sitting there saying, are you looking at these forecasts? I mean, they're talking about this monster stuff. I was saying to my wife, you know, we had tickets to go to the Packers game the next day. You know, what's going to happen? You're going to get in Chicago. You're going to get stuck there overnight. How are we going to do this? It's not going to be any fun, etc. Look at this. You're not going to be able to get back. So I was the one saying, you know, don't go. I was the one saying, let's believe the weather forecasters. Let us be cautious. Needless to say, they went... And needless to say, I have been, like I say, eating a giant can of I told you so for the last several days. Well, maybe this is just indicative of the fact that we should wait because, you know, they, they, they make their best guesses and efforts and they've got millions of dollars of computers. But at the end of the day, maybe it's just because it's tough to predict weather around here, but they really don't know. So I've been hearing that for the last last couple days. So th- this weekend, again, if you get the t- Twitter feeds, they want to predict a big snowstorm. But I, th- at least that is my sense. But they're they're not. They're saying it's going to snow, and you might have this mix, and it'll be accumulating because again, they're they're gun shy because. And last weekend's forecast was a bust forecast. Now, I understand you got a little bit of snowfall and you got the heavy winds and things like that. And it wasn't a pleasant day Saturday, but it wasn't 10 inches of snow. No question about it. And I know there's a lot of people who changed their plans. Churches canceled, you know, services on Sunday morning. And the, the bottom line was Sunday was was just fine. It was actually arguably worse Sunday night with just that little bit of snow. So now we're in the middle of winter, and all the meteorologists are there, and they're explaining, you know, why it was that they got it wrong. And yes, the low moved a little bit to the east, and as a result, it wasn't as bad as we thought. And and as I said when I, I sent out a, a tweet about this a couple of days ago, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, I look, I I I'm not going to mock a bust forecast because. Candidly, I'd rather them be wrong and we only get an inch or two of snow than be right and we get 10 inches. So I, that's just kind of the way I, I cut it. But, you know, they were wrong. Now, the weather people are right a bunch of times as, as well. They're, they're right a lot of times. On the other hand, there's also, and maybe, again, it's the difficulty of predicting weather in southeast Wisconsin. They're wrong a lot, too. And that's why you get ranges. But I mean, last weekend, they, they were they were wrong in a big way. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This happens a lot. You get the forecasts, and then again, everybody's doing the best job they can. But because, I don't know, that the science just is unpredictable or the weather patterns are unpredictable, you end up with maybe changing your plans, and then there was no need to change the plans. Here is what I want to discuss. When you hear these forecasts, especially the forecasts a few days out, can you believe them, or are you skeptical about them? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And these forecasts do make a difference. You talk to people in the hospitality industry, who, you know, restaurants, hey, you, you get this forecast that it's going to be the end of the world, and restaurants, you know, they, nobody comes out. They cancel reservations. They don't make reservations. My guess is Saturday night was dead in the hospitality industry because of the forecast, and the truth was there was no reason why you couldn't have gone out and eaten if you had plans to do that on a Saturday night. So are you skeptical when you get these weather forecasts? Do you believe that, 
Well, how reliable are they, especially a couple days out? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, let's start with a couple texts while Gru is lining up the calls. I feel the weather people in the city always embellish and end up scaring the public. I was in stores on Friday evening, and it was like the end of the world was coming. My goodness, I grew up in the UP. You'll never see a weather forecast that you see up there, and they get really big storms that are out there. Jeff, the weather people cannot predict three days out, and we're all going to die in 12 years of climate change. Well, that's an interesting thing as well. Jeff, I don't believe them because more than half the time the forecast for Fond du Lac is incorrect because the weather goes around Lake Winnebago. That's always, you know, one of the issues that's there. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When we get these forecasts that say, hey, it's going to be 6 to 10 inches, how reliable do you consider them to be? And do you cancel plans? I encouraged my wife to cancel her plans on Saturday. She did not listen. I got outvoted. And you know what? I ended up being wrong. I got fooled. All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's a text, Jeff. I believe the forecasters. Everybody makes mistakes. I'm sure they're doing the best they can. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying the people who, the meteorologists are evil people. I'm, yes, they're, they're doing the best they can, but I guess... My question is, what do we end up doing with that information when it seems like the best they can? And there's all sorts of forecasts that they absolutely nail. There's no question about it. But it seems like there's a lot of forecasts that they don't get right. And I, I wonder... See, I wonder if part of that is to blame for us because we, we always want to hear the worst. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in just a minute. I mean, there, there, there is, there's a business pressure to, I, I think, try to over-dramatize stuff because then people, you know, tune in. People, you know, want to, oh, my gosh, there's going to be 10 inches. I, I've got to know where this is going to be. So you, you hear 10 inches. Um, when the forecast is six to ten inches, and but even so, if you only get two, it's it's still a miss. Let's talk to Debbie in Menominee Falls. Debbie, you're in WTMJ. Yeah, um, I thought that was just. I mean, he was pretty positive on that. He wasn't saying, "Oh, if it shifts and all this." It was eight to twelve. It started out and it ends up one to two. Come on, that's being way way off. Uh, um, and then, like I told your guy, I said last night, they told me you're going to wake up about 1 to 2 this morning. Not a flake. Yeah. I mean, they're just, um, and yes, I depend on it too much. And I said, would you just stop listening and wake up in the morning and whatever is there? Is there. And, and then you end up dealing with no, no thanks to call. But see, one of the things and and I've learned this from all these years here. One of the things is weather is something that affects all of us. You know, if, if you're let's take watching television, you know, maybe you like sports, maybe somebody else likes politics, maybe somebody else likes reality TV. OK, so we're, we're very diverse. But when it comes to weather, everybody wants to know what's going on in the weather, because if there's going to be a blizzard, that affects all of us. If it's going to be a hurricane or a tornado or you're going to have a foot of snow or you're going to have six inches of rain and it's going to flood, it affects us all. So that's something that brings us all together. And it's why TV stations, not just here, but all over. It's why they pay a lot of attention to the weather, because they know people are always going to be watching. 
I'm just wondering if the science is accurate enough to you know, say, okay, this is going to happen, or what we're hearing is really a suggestion. You know, keep, keep it in mind, just like when you get a bunch of financial advice, nobody knows for sure what's going to happen. Mark in West Bend. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, not only am I skeptical, but I feel that by just looking at the map, the radar maps on the apps on my phone, I tend to be right more often than they are because I think they've come to rely too much on computer simulations and computers telling them what's going to happen instead of using good old reasoning and looking at the maps and radar themselves. Kind of like the pollsters when they, you know, have all these complicated formulas to make the predictions and then it turns out that, well, okay, maybe maybe the underlying assumptions that we have in these formulas are wrong. Exactly. Um, my mom called me up Thursday night because I was going out of town over the weekend, and you would think the end of the earth was about to happen. Yeah. And I looked at it myself, and I said, I, I don't think we're going to get that. By looking at what I see coming, I don't think that's going to happen. And I went out of town yeah. because I've learned not to rely on their – they get so hysterical, and it's 24-7 of just shoving this down your face that this huge thing is coming, and, and have they actually – put their own thoughts into it, or is it just the computers telling them what... I think they're worse than they used to be. Yeah, well, it is interesting, and and I don't know if part of that is ratings pressure. I mean, here's a text, Jeff. When they try and push the weather forecast is the main news news story is when they get in trouble. It's not so much about the inaccuracies, which are normal. It's when they make it the major news story. And that's right, because whenever you get... It's always kind of this this joke that I have. Whenever you have, especially like the first big snowstorm, if you want to see, you know, what reporters like at the low end of the totem pole, it's whoever they send down to the city salt pile, you know, and then they they got the video of here we're filling up the salt trucks and all, and 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 it is it, it then it becomes every story becomes weather related and it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Let's go to the hardware store. Hardware store is selling out of snow uh, of uh, snow blowers. Hardware store is selling out of salt. All that, and then other people see it and they go. Oh my God! I better get out there because I need some salt or whatever. Stores are selling out of milk. That the, the thing—I I admit the thing on over the weekend that was just driving me crazy—is because even if you believe the six to ten inches, the forecast for the next day is okay. The snow's going to end. Okay, this is 2020. We do snow very, very well around here, and I understand maybe you know your alley doesn't get plowed as quickly as you want or something like that. But but nobody's going to be snowed in. You know, even if we got six to ten inches, even if the forecast had been correct. You would have been able to get to the store the following day. There's no reason to buy it out of milk and bread or or whatever. It's just you're not going to be stuck in the house for a week. So part of it is our own fault because we kind of get guppied in on all this stuff. Let's talk to Rich. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I just wanted to share real quick. When I was on my way home yesterday evening listening to your station, the forecast for today was 42 in sunshine, and I'm looking out the window, so I got a little chuckle when you made this your topic today. Well, it's right now it's 36, but I, I you understand I'm not the guy that does weather, so <laughs> it's just it, for, it's 36. <laughs> it's 30. Thanks for I mean it's 36 versus 42. Okay, th- this is this is close, and see, and and I don't think anybody if they predicted six to ten, and we had gotten, for example, eight inches. I don't think anybody would have been making a big deal out of it, or if they, even if it had gotten six inches, I, I don't think anybody would have made any difference. But there's kind of like this margin of error. But in this particular situation, we're all told, "Hey, change your plans. Don't go out." All these different problems. And again, I am sympathetic because 
I, I mean, I know people who have made their careers restaurants and things like that. I, the church I go to, they canceled the eight o'clock service because, hey, we're, we're told that the weather is going to be terrible. You know, we don't. I get it. They don't want people, you know, coming out and putting themselves at risk. All right. Well, there was no reason that that eight o'clock service should have been canceled on Sunday, as it turned out. Do I fault the people who made that decision? No, they were relying on on the forecasts that are there. Bottom line of all this is, it, I think it demonstrates, as, and maybe it's easier to forecast the weather if you're in San Diego where it never changes. And I and I appreciate that there's all sorts of stuff that can happen, but I am more and more convinced that these forecasts a couple days out, you might as well give it up because nobody, they, they just don't know. The technology is just not there. Weather patterns are too unpredictable. You know, maybe maybe the day before you can tell, but even then they couldn't tell the day before on the forecast last week. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got Eric at Random Lake. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I think maybe with, everything that's going on with our, our the warming of the climate maybe or something that it's getting tougher to forecast the weather and they're going off of all these all these models you know these forecasting models and predicting storms that are coming out from over the ocean that are right. going to be here in two days i i think everybody in wisconsin should have one of these forecasting stones that hangs outside your door from a chain and like they did at the co-op that i worked and if the rock was white, it was snowing. If it was wet, it was raining. If the rock's swinging back and forth, it, it's windy. And if the rock's gone, we had a tornado. You know, and that's the way to tell the weather. You just look at the rock. And yeah, whatever the, the rock tells you, that's what's going on. Well, th- thanks for the call. Well, I that that would have been a better strategy than me saying, don't go on this trip. Because, like I said, I'm, I'm hearing about it. Hey, Jeff, Burlington High School canceled their show choir performance on Saturday due to the weather forecast. It's their biggest fundraiser. The kids were very disappointed. Now again, I get it. I'm not. I'm not faulting authorities for making that decision. Hey, look, we're we're being told it's going to be just terrible out there, and we don't want to put people in life threatening situations for coming. And and we know attendance is going to be down anyways because people aren't going to go out. And I appreciate all that, but at the same time, maybe we're just maybe we're just too quick to jump the gun and maybe we get caught up in some of the hype. And I'm not saying meteorologists are evil people and I they, they do the best they can. I'm just wondering whether or not the technology is, is good enough to make reliable predictions. And clearly, a couple days out, the answer is is no. Let's talk to Helen in Glendale. Hi, Helen. Hi. Um I'm a social worker, and one of the one of the things of my profession is is that we always have a duty to warn. We have a duty to warn when um, a person that we're seeing for counseling may be in a life-threatening situation. I sort of feel that the meteorologists are in the same position. They have a duty to warn if it looks like uh, you know there could be severe or problematic weather. Uh, I can see the same situation if they hadn't predicted the snow and we got 6 to 10 inches and then everybody would have said, well, you know, how come you guys didn't see anything about it? How come, come Well, but the flip side would be if you, if you always warn time after time after time and in, in the exercise of caution and it turns out that your warnings – don't come true a good portion of the time, do you get a reputation of being the boy or the girl who cried wolf? You're right. You're right. I think it's I think it's a it's it's a very fine call. Yeah. But you know, they have to always err on the caution on the side of caution. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I I myself miss church on Sunday because of this weather prediction. 
I I missed another event on Saturday because of the weather prediction. It's it's just I think it's just really. Um, no, it, it's tough. And thanks, I, I, yeah, Helen. I mean, it's tough. And again, I, I I'm not the. The, the people who make these predictions aren't bad people, and they're not trying to mislead. Now, I do think that there's an element, like I say, of, of hype that, that goes into this. And, you know, if you've got a forecast that says there's 10 inches and it's going to be snowmageddon, more people are likely to tune in than if it's, hey, it's going to be a nice day tomorrow because we all want to know, hey, when is the storm going to start? When is it going to end? How is this going to affect our plans? So I think there's some internal pressure that, that's there to okay if if we do think it's going to be bad let's then let's get then we go to the, have the people down showing them loading the salt trucks and things like that but I, at some point in time I, I guess my my experience now is starting to be I'm not you, know, you you take it you take the information you consider it but but can you rely on it and change your plans Jeff I have been a bartender for many years this don't leave the house unless you absolutely has to have to stop maybe if the weather people had insurance to make up for our lost revenue this is in fact Wisconsin and again that that's one of the big arguments that you get people believe the weather forecasts they rely on them they change their plans and that that hurts other businesses a, as well so I don't know what the answer to it is other than like I say I've been eating a big can of I told you so for the last several days and I don't know it's it's tough to swallow <laughs> back with more in just a minute Jeff Wagner on WTMJ there is a trend in talk radio and I've done this long enough 20 some years now 20 plus years to, to see these trends and, and one of the trends is lots and lots of hosts are moving away from from call which to me I guess it's still talk radio if it's only the host that talks, but that's not very particularly interesting. And, and the, there's a lot of reasons behind it. I mean, the thought is that, well, now with all the social media forums out there, people have other ways to, you know, express themselves and things like that. I, that's not the way I do this show. I, I, I enjoy getting feedback from you and admittedly it changes a little bit because you've got the phone lines and now we get a lot of texts during the call so people who might not otherwise want to call a radio show but they they participate by text i love the audience participation component and i particularly love from time to time when somebody who calls in takes a topic in a way that i i hadn't really thought about and and it's like oh boy that that's that's really interesting and we we had that happen yesterday and and I've been thinking about this since since the call occurred, the the crime numbers are out in the city of Milwaukee, and the crime numbers are are down. Now you can argue they're still unacceptably high, but over the last two years the number of homicides has dropped from like 117 to 97, something like that, over a two-year period. And as I always say, with crime, with homicide numbers, you got to be careful because every time somebody's shot, it, it could result in a death. And a lot of times it's just, but for the grace of God, that somebody you know gets shot and it the bullet doesn't nick an artery versus it does nick an artery, something like that. So homicides. It's it's a touchy question when it comes to to crime. But if you look at the number of shootings in the city of Milwaukee, it's down over the last two years. If you look at the number of carjackings in the city of Milwaukee, they're, they're down. It's still unacceptably high, but but they're down. And I, I was you now I was attributing part of that to, I think, this renewed effort to chase bad guys and things like that. And I was taking it as a positive. We had a caller who called up and said, well, Jeff, that's all well and good. But my question is this. What is going on in the suburbs? Is it possible 
that a number of Milwaukee criminals are simply they're they're not not committing crimes. They're moving out to the suburbs to commit their crimes. So maybe instead of looking at the number of shootings or carjackings that are going on just in Milwaukee, you know, you should look at whether or not over the next over the last several years that the crime has been migrating. So it's not that there's less crime. It's just it's kind of spreading out like an ink stain. And I thought that's kind of an interesting point. And the reality is it, it's, it is true. If you look at it's difficult to break it down community by community. But if you look at certain communities, yes, crime, crimes are up. Carjackings are up. Car thefts are, are up. You know, violent crimes are, are up. I mean, it's not dramatic, not dramatic numbers like you would expect with the population center in the city of Milwaukee. But there is some truth to that. And then I saw this story on Fox 6 yesterday, which I admit caught my attention. The woman left her car unattended in the alley behind her house. She left the keys in the car. She left the car running, and the car was stolen. Now, you you can hear this story, and you say, oh, my gosh, you know, she, she left the car running. What was this woman thinking? All right. Here's the story, though. You know how long she left the car unattended? Gru, would you like to guess how, and, and this is all on film. She lives in Shorewood, so we're not th- talking about a high crime area. Here is the deal. She gets her car. She's in her car. She's got it started. She's starting to go to work. She remembers that she left her lunch on the kitchen counter, right? So she, she, she's right behind her house. She pulls up. She stops the car. She puts it in park. She does not shut it off. She runs runs into the house to get her lunch. And then she's got one of these security cameras. You see what happens. Her car is stolen from the alley. Would you like to guess how long it was between the time she left the car till the time the car was stolen? Would you like to guess? Take a guess. It can't be that long. Take a guess. What What would you think would be a reasonable period of time? Uh, but uh, like 45 seconds to a minute. 22 seconds. 22 seconds from the time this woman leaves the car to the time the car gets stolen. And and you can see what happens. You, you can see this all on, on this video, and Fox 6 had it. That, that she, she leaves the car in the alley. She runs in. There is a van that pulls up literally as soon as she's gotten out of the car, and some guy gets out of the passenger side of the car, jumps in her car. The first car drives off. The second one drives off behind it. it it's, it's like the movie Gone in 60 Seconds, except this is Gone in 22 Seconds, and it sh- it's, it's Shorewood, which we'd like to think of as being a, a relatively safe kind of high-end community. It used to be whenever UWM professors got tenure, they ended up moving to Shorewood. Now, it's it's a little bit different than that. But here you have this liberal enclave on, you know, the Tony East side, Shorewood. You can't leave your car unattended for 22 seconds behind your house without it having been stolen, which tells me what happens is, you know, you've got these car thieves that are just driving around and around looking for this particular target of opportunity. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Statistically, city of Milwaukee getting safer. Anecdotally, you know, are the suburbs getting more dangerous? 
And this story really caught my attention because, you know, was it the smartest thing for the woman to do to leave her car unattended with the keys in it for any length of time? No. But, you know, I understand. I understand how that happens. True story. This morning, I'm pulling out of my garage. The car is in the driveway. All of a sudden, this light goes on that I have, true story, I've left my um, my, my little lunch bag. I've left it in the laundry room, you know, which is, you know, you open the garage door, you open the door, you're right in the laundry room. You, you walk in. And I, I, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't have started the car again. I would have just run it. couldn't have taken me longer than 15 seconds to get in and out. But I was thinking of this video, and I'm thinking, well, okay, I mean, I don't live in Shorewood. I live a little bit further out. But, you know, is, in fact, crime spreading? All right. Do you feel it's more dangerous? Have the suburbs gotten more crime prone? Or is this just, well, okay, it was 22 seconds. You know, this could happen anywhere. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I will tell you, these stories certainly make me think that, you know, if you used to think that crime was confined to certain areas of the city of Milwaukee, absolutely not. Crime is spreading, and we all need to be aware of it. Now, are these criminals coming from the city of Milwaukee? Sometimes yes, perhaps sometimes no, but... um. We, we need to be more vigilant. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Are the suburbs getting more crime ridden? And do you feel it in the communities where you live? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, your insightful caller yesterday is right about what's been going on in recent years. Savvy criminals are scoping out opportunities to take advantage of unsuspecting suburbanites and much smaller police forces to commit more and more offenses in areas where they face little opposition from people not expecting the risk. What caught me about the Shorewood story is... Okay, it's not like the lady had her car in the driveway with the motor running for five minutes, ten minutes or whatever. This is somebody who literally ran in, ran in to pick up, you know, her lunch. 22 seconds and the car is gone. 22 seconds. And maybe the scariest thing about it isn't that it was stolen in 22 seconds, but it's that you apparently got these roving bands of thieves that are driving around the communities and that they can spot a target of opportunity that quickly. Makes me wonder how many of those vans driving through Shorewood are in fact loaded with criminals who are just waiting to find that person who makes the mistake. That's part of the scary thing as well. Let's talk to um, Scott in Franklin. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, Yeah, I had a a situation where at 6.30 in the morning I was going to take my son to school. And I walked out to the car. I put the key fob in the cup holder, and I realized I forgot my phone. And my son wasn't out yet, so I walked back in the house, and I told him, I said, come on, let's get going. He walked out and walked back in and said, Dad, where's the car? And <laughs> it's not 30, funny, but yeah. In 30, in 30 said, no, it's funny. <laughs> uh, in 30 seconds, it was gone. And what happened was this guy robbed a convenience store in Tosa and got chased all the way through to Franklin in a stolen car. Uh, smashed that car up and ran through Tuckery Country Club and ended up in my backyard, unfortunately, and literally walked right up to my car, took off, and the only reason I knew what was going on is I turned around and there was about six police officers with dogs running up my backyard <laughs> and chasing him. Honestly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they ended up they ended up catching him later. They spiked him up. And the funny thing is, 
I had my truck in for repairs, and I had a loaner, brand new Dodge Durango with 500 miles on it. <laughs> <laughs> I well, and, I, uh, I mean, it's it. it's one of these things, Scott. And look, I mean, I look, I understand we all do kind of dumb, unattended things, but yeah, you know, okay, your story, I, and I, I mean, I get how that can happen. Was your truck was the vehicle even running, or did you just have the key fob in it and it was unlocked? No. No, it wasn't no, even it running. Wasn't even running. So <laughs> he had to know. He had to know that he had to press the button on the dashboard. You know. So uh, and apparently he figured that out. But the only problem that with him is he must have not known where he was. Right. Because he took two rights. He took two rights and ran into uh, eleven squad cars that were trying <laughs> yeah. to find him on another corner. I. But so, it, it um, is amazing how quickly this can happen. Like I say, thirty seconds and. And, and it's, and again, you, uh, uh, no people wouldn't think of that. It's not even like it's running. It's hey, okay, I'm just going to run into the house. I'm here. The car is right here. Who thinks that it's going to be stolen that quickly? But that's kind of the reality, no. huh? Yeah. And I have another friend. I have another friend in Franklin that had the same thing. He was waxing his car in broad daylight, twelve o'clock noon, and he went in the house to get some more wax. He came back out, and his car was being driven down the driveway. <laughs> I did. I, right. Now, thank, thank, I, that's in, that was in Franklin too. I mean, that, that, thank, thank, thanks for the calls. Well, see again. See, th- this is the again, and I'm, I'm not trying to be flip about this. It's not just that the cars are stolen; it's that these are these are targets of opportunity. So that tells me that you have a good percentage, or at least a decent number, of criminals who are just cruising the streets looking for that opportunity. Oh, there's somebody that's washing their car. The car's out in the driveway. Here, let, let's wait till they go inside or turn their back, and then let's steal the car. Or in the case of the woman in Shorewood. I mean, what what are the odds? You know, what are the odds that in that, that 20 seconds, I get it, you leave the car out there for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes, okay, maybe somebody's going to see it. She, 22 seconds, which tells me that there was somebody watching her, or there was somebody watching the block, which makes you wonder, again, is is this the new thing? I mean, how? what percentage of the people that are driving by your house or watching what you're doing in the driveway or whatever, what percentage of them are criminals? And, I, I look, I used to mock some of the reports that said, well, you, you know, you've, you've got to lock this or you've got to lock that. To me, the response was, well, look, if there are these criminals out there, what we got to do is we got to get these criminals off the street. But the reality of the situation is there's so many of those criminals out there. I mean, we, our society is becoming so lawless in part because we don't hold people accountable when we catch them. We give them probation or double secret probation or, oh, it's just car theft. What, you know, what's the big deal? Well, tell that to the lady whose car was stolen in 22 seconds. Or tell it to, you know, the, the guy who's, you're washing your car, you go inside to get some more soap, and you come out 15 seconds later or a minute later, and the car is gone. I mean, it, we're getting more and more lawless, and I, I think we can't turn a blind eye to, you know, these various problems. And I guess I don't care if it happens in the city of Milwaukee or in Shorewood or in West Bend or, or wherever. I think... The vast majority of us, law-abiding citizens, you know, have every right to demand that those people are out there, you know, looking looking for us to let our guard down for a moment so they can rob us, take our stuff, whatever. We have a right to say, you know, the people that are doing that, when they get caught, they need to go to prison. They need to be removed from society because we have a right to be safe. Is that too much to ask? And I would argue, no. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have, I have no horse 
in the Milwaukee County executives race. Chris Abley stepping down. You've got a number of people who are running to replace him. I don't live in Milwaukee County anymore, so my, mine is pure, my interest is purely as a pundit. Having said that, I'm old school, and there's no school like the old school. And if you're going to be a candidate and you decide to be lazy and sloppy, well, I don't have any sympathy for you. This is a follow-up to the story we talked about yesterday. The To get on the ballot to be the Milwaukee County Executive, you need to have 2,000 signatures, which is nothing in, in a county the size of Milwaukee. You need 2,000 signatures. You can turn in up to 4,000. Any responsible candidate will turn in well above the 2,000 because inevitably what happens is some of the signatures that you get on nominating papers, they get struck for whatever reason. There's technical problems, somebody who doesn't live in Milwaukee County, in this case signs and whatever. So you, you always want to turn in more signatures. And I would argue that you know you really want to turn in much closer to 4,000 than you do to 2,000 because it's not hard to get signatures, or at least it shouldn't be hard to get signatures if you are a valid candidate. Also, and this is where the old school stuff comes in, I believe candidates and their campaigns should be the ones who go out and get the signatures. I mean, I can remember, now this is a long time ago, I'm running for statewide office, I can remember being at events, I'm holding that clipboard myself, I'm getting signatures. I mean, that's what you do, or the people close to your campaign, you you do that. And it's not that hard in a big county, for example, to get 2,000 signatures. Here's the problem, the two wannabe candidates, Brian Kennedy, who's the mayor of Glendale, and Jim Sullivan, former state senator, have. You need 2,000 signatures. They got, in my opinion, the campaigns got lazy. And rather than getting all the signatures themselves, what they did is they hired third parties to go out and solicit signatures for them. Now, this is, in in some ways, this is kind of a a, a form of pandering, I I think, because what they did is they, they took the job of getting signatures. And according to the Journal Sentinel, what they did is they hired a, quote, unquote, community organizer. They hired him, this guy who's connected to some people in Milwaukee. They hired this guy to go out and get signatures for us. Now, that's not illegal in and of itself. I just think that's lazy. Just, I think it's lazy. In the Journal Sentinel, they report it. They say, well, this is a common thing for, you know, campaigns. I don't know about that. I mean, outsourcing campaign signatures, to me, again, it's sloppy and it's lazy and it invites problems. So here's what happens. They hire this third party organizer to go out and do the job that I think that they should be doing. The third party organizer hires people to go get signatures for these candidates. Well, the problem is, under state law, you're only allowed to circulate one person. If you're going to circulate a petition for one candidate, you're not allowed to do it for other candidates, you know, for the same office. So if you're supporting, you're going to circulate petitions, uh, trying to get Jeff on the ballot, you can't also circulate petitions trying to get GRU on the ballot if we're running for the same office. Law is very clear on that. And you would know that if you were, again, part of the candidates of the campaigns. But what happens is they farm these campaigns, farm this out to a community organizer, presumably because 
They want to make nice with the community organizer and hope that that community organizer supports their campaigns. So they're going to funnel money to him. This is perfectly legitimate. He hi- It's illegal. Again, it's just sloppy and lazy. He hires people, and then these people go out, and what they do is they end up getting signatures for multiple candidates for the same office. This is a huge problem with uh, Jim Sullivan's campaign because, well, I mean, had the numbers. He he apparently turns in like a thousand signatures that had been obtained by somebody who had already obtained signatures for another candidate. Now, the law is very clear. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at the statute now. If any person signs nomination papers for two candidates for the same office in the same election at different times, the earlier signature is valid and the latter, later signature is invalid. If a person circulates a nomination paper for two candidates for the same office in the same election at different times, the earlier paper is valid and the later paper is invalid. The law could not be more clear. If a person circulates nominating petitions for two people for the same office, the earlier one, that counts. The later one doesn't count. Well, in the case of Jim Sullivan, apparently what happened is, and they outsourced this, got lazy, got sloppy, and the person who got, like, over, apparently, the people that got over a 1,000 signatures, they had gotten signatures for other candidates for the same office, and these are now subject to disqualification. Same thing is true with the mayor of Glendale, Brian Kennedy, although he, at least according to the allegations, he might still have enough, even if you take out all the question ones. But so the, the attorneys for these guys are now saying, well, you know, we, we don't think this should keep us off the ballot. This, you know, we, we, we want the Elections Commission to let us on. Well, again, I don't I don't have a horse in the race, but the law is very, very clear. The law says this is what's supposed to happen, and it might be a harsh result. But if your campaign is so, so lazy that you decide that you're going to do this, you're going to outsource it, you're not going to get the signatures themselves, this is the type of risk you run. And it might seem like a harsh result, but the law is the law. And th- this whole idea of, well, we're, you don't, campaigns don't get their own signatures. You, what, what does it say about a campaign and how sloppy, lazy, and desperate you must be if you feel the need to hire third parties to go out and get your signatures? In Milwaukee County, if you were a serious candidate, you should be able to get 2,000 signatures, you as the candidate, and 10 volunteers. You should be able to hit three or four events on a given Saturday or a Sunday in the weekend, and you should be able to get enough signatures to get yourself on the ballot. But when you decide to outsource this, this is the problem you have. Now, nobody says that the candidates were committing fraud. Candidates probably didn't know that the people that they hired and trusted were engaging in this behavior, which is is disqualifying. But that's all the more reason to not have been lazy, not have been sloppy and done this. And I guess I look at this and I think the law is really, really clear. And if it does turn out that the same person circulated multiple petitions for different candidates, the law says you count the first ones that you got. You don't count the second ones. And if that means that these candidates don't have enough signatures left, the candidates don't have enough signatures left. It, And they shouldn't expect like the Elections Commission, to bail you out. The law is clear. And maybe the object lesson of this is that, hey, if you're going to run for office and you're going to be a serious candidate, why don't you read the laws? 
Why don't you make yourself aware of what's going on? And then why don't you have some checks in your campaign to make sure that you're going to do it? And maybe, maybe you shouldn't hire people who, I don't know, you can't trust to get the job done. Maybe you should just do some of these things yourself, you and some of your campaign aides. Shouldn't be that tough. But if these numbers are true, the, the idea that you just ignore this clear violation of the law doesn't make any sense to me at all. So don't be surprised if one or more of these candidates ends up coming off the ballot. You shouldn't expect the Elections Commission to bail you out. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Who's right, Apple or the government? Here's the, the latest battle. Now, if, if you have an Apple iPhone... It has security encryption, which makes it almost impossible to open if somebody is trying to get in and doesn't have your password. So here's the story. This this is and this has been brewing between the government. The fights have been brewing between the government and Apple for a while. But December sixth, you will remember there is the shooting at the Naval Air Station in Pensacola. Three sailors are killed, eight others are wounded. The gunman is the second lieutenant, Mohammed Saheed Al-Sharami, a Saudi Air Force cadet training with the American military. He's, he's killed as a result of this. He's got two cell phones, which he had been using. One of them, I think he shot himself, you know, but, but they're, they're badly, they, they are badly damaged in, in the shootings. All right. He's dead. They, the government wants to get into these phones and they want to look at the material that's on them. Why do they want to look at it? Because they don't think he was acting alone, or at least they want to investigate this. They want to see who it was that he called. They want to, they, they want to look at the information. You know, they, they want to look at the history, all the different things that are on his cell phone. Problem is, these cell phones are locked. They, they don't have the passwords. So the government goes to Apple. And they say, I think one was an iPhone 5, one was an iPhone 7. And they say, we want you to help us get into these phones. You know, we, and they get a search warrant. They, they get a search warrant. We've got the search warrant that authorizes us to get into the phones. But we, we need you to help us do this. Apple says, no. They say, look, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help you if you want to see if there's stuff up in the cloud and things like that. But they say, we don't have the ability to get into these phones. And moreover, we don't intend to develop the technology to do that. You know, we think that if we if we work out a way to like hack into these phones, if we do this, we think it's likely that our security will end up being breached and then people will be able to hack into anybody's phones. So we're not going to do it. Matter of fact, this happened a couple years ago and the government was able to find some computer specialists who were able to, you know, get into the phones. And then Apple's response afterwards was, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to try to toughen the security measures that are in our phones to make sure that, you know, individual phones can't be, you know, can't be gotten into. And we don't care if it's the government or we don't care if it's a hacker. We're not going to cooperate as far as, 
developing technology. Now, Apple says that it doesn't exist. The government has its doubts. But they say, no, we're, we're not going to help you get into the phone. And we don't want to develop an end around to help people get into the phone because we're afraid that somebody might steal it. It's not that we don't want to help you identify people that this terrorist might have been in touch with. But we think the bigger point is we, we don't want to create a way for the government or anybody else to be able to get into people's phones. The privacy of the individual customer, we think, you know, trumps, no pun intended, trumps the ability of the government to get that information. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, like I say, Apple's story is it's not that we're not cooperating with the search warrant. It's that we don't have the technology that exists to allow us to get in there, and we have no intention of working with you or helping develop the technology because, uh, again, we think the privacy of our customers is more important than the government's interest in trying to identify with a warrant who this terrorist might have been talking to. So who's right? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a legitimate concern for Apple? the privacy of the customers, or is there an overriding government interest which says, hey, in situations like this, when we've got court orders, we should be able to get into these phones and find out who the terrorist was communicating with, Apple or the government? Who's right? We discuss in just a moment, and I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I actually thought it would be more. Uh, parking lots right around the arena where the Trump rally, and there, there's already hundreds and hundreds of lots there. Um, private parking lots in that area right around there, they're already nearly full. Posted parking, 50 bucks. 50 bucks. 50 bucks, and um, I think most of these places are going to be sold out. If you're going down there, public transportation or something, because I, I think as the afternoon goes on, it's going to be impossible to get anywhere close to that entire area. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The government has a warrant. They say, hey, we want to get into the cell phones of this this dead terrorist who shot these people in Pensacola because we don't think he was acting alone. We want to see the people he was hooked up with. Apple says, sorry, can't help you. Let's start with Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're first. Hello. Hiya, Jeff. Hi, Tom. First of all, I would say that I don't believe Apple because they built this phone from the ground on up. Their engineers know exactly how to get into this phone. Now, I wouldn't let the information out, and I would have the people that are from Pepsi-Cola or wherever that is, I would have them come to the Apple laboratory and show them exactly what's on that phone. But to tell them that they can't get into this phone, that, that's just ludicrous. I mean, they built the phone. Well, I, see, I, I mean, do I know how you build a smartphone? No. But, I, you know, Tom, my reaction is the same as yours. I find it impossible to believe that the Apple engineers 
don't have somewhere buried in all the software, don't have some workaround so they can get into some disabled phone. I, it's, it's almost impossible for me to believe, but they say they don't, and they furthermore say we don't want to develop some sort of workaround because we're afraid it's going to get stolen. I mean, I'm with you. Color me skeptical on that whole thing. I agree. You know, there's prints there. there. If you didn't, if you didn't know how to build this phone, then how are you going to build the next phone? You wouldn't know how to build the next phone. I mean, that's just it's just like stupid talk. Well, I mean, th- again, I, you know, and, and and part of this, to, to me, it's it's a design flaw to begin with because I mean, what you know, what, what happens if all right, you you've got your iPhone and you die. And your spouse wants the phone and wants to be able to access stuff, but doesn't know your password or something. You know that you're then then the phone just becomes like a brick. And I and, and that's what Apple says is the case. Here's a text, Jeff. It's funny to hear Apple championing championing customer privacy when they sell so much information to advertisers. Yeah, it is kind of this interesting d- dichotomy. And that was my point that I was thinking of as well. You have Apple, which makes a fortune by selling our information information to anybody who wants to buy it but at the same time now they're concerned about our, our privacy now I, I am look I'm sympathetic to the fact that you've got a lot of hackers that are out there and I think it should be a special situation where you know you are you're opening up somebody's phone but in this case the government has a warrant so a, a judge has issued a warrant the information is unobtainable somewhere else. It might, and who knows what the relevance of this is going to be, but they do believe that the guy knew other people. They're trying to identify other sorts of terrorist cells. You know, and Apple essentially saying, well, you know, it's not that we don't want to cooperate. You know, we'll help you find if there's stuff that's up in the cloud and things like that. But as far as trying to unlock the cell phone, we're not going to do it. And we know that you were able in previous situations with other cell phones, we knew you were able to unlock them. What we're going to do is try to tighten our security to make it even more difficult for you to do that in the future. I think that is a questionable business decision by Apple. And I mean, candidly, I mean, what what's the ultimate end around? Well, the end around is that you pass legislation saying that there has to be some sort of workaround. I mean, that's that's what Apple is looking at. Candidly, if I were the Apple engineers, I would be doing everything I could to cooperate with the government in this particular issue situation and then making sure that whatever the technology they found, you know, they guarded it to make sure it didn't get out there. But simply saying, no, too bad, so sad, you're on your own. And if it turns out that there were other active terrorists that are out there that you could have identified, but you can't because we're not going to cooperate with helping you get in and following the warrant, well, then you wonder what Apple's responsibility is. I just, I'm with the government on on this one. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So grew watching producing the show today and always tonight the last democrat debate between before the iowa caucuses you're going to be glued to the television watching this uh it was something that was brought up something to do tonight but no no it's well it's interesting because at least this one they're down to i believe six candidates bernie sanders elizabeth warren biden Buttigieg, 
Tom Steyer, who is the billionaire that's been running all these ads. I've, I've never even, I don't even know who that is. But he spent, he spent like hundreds of thousands, millions of, he's committed to spending millions of dollars. Don't know who he is, huh? I mean, if you, that, yeah. you could say the exact same thing about Bloomberg. Right, and Bloomberg's not in the debate tonight. The sixth one is uh, Amy Klobuchar, um, who, who's in there, because to get into the debate, you have to have had X amount of fundraising, and you have to have a certain standing in the polls, and so far... You know, Bloomberg, I, I d- discount Bloomberg at, at your own risk. I mean, here the, the guy is spending what was it? What crazy amount of money to buy a 60 second ad in the Super Bowl? Was that a million dollars or whatever? He, like he hundred. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's going to he's he's going to be around. There's no question about that. And see that the more and more I look at this. It looks to me like it, it might be the first, quote-unquote, brokered convention in a long time. How cool will that be? Because I you, you're already starting to see some of the cracks develop. And, and this, if you're looking to watch it tonight, this might be one of the things to watch because, first of all, cranky Bernie Sanders, he's not going anywhere. He's hacked off that he lost to Hillary Clinton four years ago. He's angry that he, he thinks the Democrat establishment kind of conspired the way they got the rules and the way they organized the rules to screw him over. Okay? And, and Bernie... Bernie's cranky enough, and I don't say that in a bad way, and old enough that he recognizes this is his last chance. And so he's hacked off at the establishment. He's also hacked off at a number of the other candidates who he thinks have stolen his issues. He's like, hey, I was the only guy in 2016 running from uh, with these like far-left positions. I was going to say wacko positions, but you know, he, he doesn't think he's a wacko. That's Actually, that's one of the definitions of being a kook is that you can't realize that your ideas are kooky. But I, I, in my opinion, Bernie's got these kooky issues. But now you've got other people that are running that have the same kooky issues, and he thinks he's stolen them from him. And so he's hacked off at, at that. I don't think Bernie is going anywhere at all. Well, what's going to be interesting is you've got Elizabeth Warren, who's way out there on the left with, with Bernie. And Elizabeth Warren, she's not going anywhere either. What's happening is in a number of the polls – She's starting to run behind Bernie. And again, I, it's all really, really close. But I think Elizabeth Warren thought that she was going to be the one that was, she's female, she was going to be the one that's anointed, the women are going to unite behind her, and she's going to be the one that hangs and waves the far-left progressive flag. A lot of these polls show that, that that's not the case that she's now running, there's a new poll out that has her in fourth place, I believe, but she's she's losing, and again, it, it's all real close, you know, and, and anything can happen, but she's had all this adoring press coverage from the New York Times. You read the New York Times, and, and my gosh, I mean, they, they're they all in with Elizabeth Warren. They, they, they are, but, but she's not gaining traction for whatever reason. So I, she's starting to get angrier and angrier, and I don't think she's going anywhere. Now she's accusing Bernie Sanders of, of running a negative campaign because since they're both so far out on the left, they, they haven't gone after each other. But over the last couple of days, first of all, she said she claims that, hey, there was some campaign aide in New Hampshire, I think, or Iowa working for Bernie, who was, you know, he, he had this call script and he was saying that, well, Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's. 
you know, she's going to get Democrat votes, but she's not going to bring anybody else in. Oh, this is terrible. Bernie's doing this. And then the latest thing is she says, well, I had this meeting with Bernie Sanders, you know, years ago, and he told me that he didn't think a woman could win as the president. And isn't this terrible? Turns out that Bernie's a misogynist and all these things. And I mean, Bernie's just denying that explicitly. But now you can start to see the cracks and, and Elizabeth Warren who I think is is afraid that she's getting bypassed by Bernie for the votes on the left. Now she's starting to sling mud at at Bernie, and so Bernie's fighting back as well. So you, you that would be kind of interesting tonight to see, since this is the last debate they're going to have before the Iowa caucuses. It's going to be interesting to see if if this kind of this feud sort of plays out. And do they go after each other, when, given the fact that they agree on most policies? They're both way to the left. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. So you're, you might see some infighting going on between the two of those, because at the end of the day, the o- only one uber-liberal candidate is going to emerge. What's going to happen through this primary process is that you're going to have a centrist candidate. My guess is it's still going to be Joe Biden. You know, who's going to emerge with a big chunk of the field? And then you're going to have the the far left candidate right now. If I had to guess, my guess is it's more likely Bernie Sanders than it is Elizabeth Warren. But but who knows? It, it, it could go the other way easily. But it, it's the, the votes are going to coalesce. But I don't think Sanders is going to go quietly into the good night. I don't think Elizabeth Warren is going to go quietly into the good night. I don't see them having this conference where either one of them says, I've decided I'm going to drop out and I want all my supporters to go to that person. Could happen before the convention, but I wouldn't count on it. So now... You know, they're going to be eating their young. Don't be surprised to see both of them go after each other tonight, unlike the last time around when everybody was picking on Joe Biden. All I'm saying is this this is shaping up perhaps to be a more interesting Democrat primary than some of us thought. And then, like I say, waiting in the wings, you've got Michael Bloomberg, who is willing to spend whatever it takes because he has whatever it takes in an effort to try to get the nomination. And, and he might not do very well in Iowa, and he might not do very well in New Hampshire. But moving forward, when you've got a guy who can put up as many TV ads as he wants simply by writing a check, you know, he could still be a player. Don't discount him. So all of which makes me think that maybe I will tune in at least a little bit this evening just to see how this whole thing plays out.